Let's pray together and then we'll explore that psalm. Father God, we do thank you for what you have done for us in Christ. We thank you for his blood, which speaks a better word than any word we have ever heard before, the word of forgiveness, the word of reconciliation, the word that beckons us to come and be your people in your place. Father, so help us tonight as we look at this psalm together to delight in this city, this church that you have built on your son. Amen. Well, please uh, turn back to Psalm chapter 48, which is uh, where we are tonight as we, uh, as we continue this series, My Soul, My Life, My All, uh, Psalm 48, page 571. And on the back of uh, the service sheets is an outline of, uh, of where we're heading as we look at that together, Psalm 48. There was once a dream that was Rome. You could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper and it would vanish. It was so fragile and I fear it will not survive the winter. They are the words of Marcus Aurelius in the movie Gladiator. This dream that he spoke of, this dream of the city of Rome, uh, whispers of a place unlike any other in the earth. So good, so sure, so joyful, and yet so fragile. Tonight I wish to speak again of dreams whispered. A dream, in fact, as old as creation itself. A dream not of Rome, but of another city. The dream whispered to us in this psalm, Psalm 48, the dream of God's city. The place of fellowship with our God and with one another. God's city, his church, his dream. So good, so joyful, and yet again seemingly so fragile. And we speak of this dream at the end of this series that we've been in all through September, My Soul, My Life, My All, a series where we're calling upon one another to wholeheartedly live for our God and for his cause in this world. And tonight, uh, rather than perhaps we have been doing as we've gone along, rather than heeding that call as individuals, I, I want us to heed that call as we really are, as a people, as his city, his church, his dream. Now, let me ask you as we begin, is this dream, this cause, this place that you are part of tonight worth all you have? Is it worth your soul, your life, your all? Is this church really worth all that? And let's not uh, ask it in generalities as sort of a a vague idea. Let's ask it in the specific. It's easy, isn't it, with uh, Christian commitments to stay at the sort of the general level, the theoretical level, I'm committed. But let's be specific. Is this church here tonight that you are a part of, this church, Christ Church Forward, not this building but this people, gathered with their God as we are tonight, is this place worth everything you have? Christchurch forward. How do you feel about her? And perhaps uh, you're here tonight and you're brand new and you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm only just getting to meet her. I, I can't really tell you how I feel about her yet. But as you do, it, it's worth asking the question, is, is this the sort of place that you would want to get stuck into? Is this the sort of place worth your energies, your heart, your passion? And for the youth here tonight, do you feel a part of this place? 
Or are you uh, perhaps on the edge of things, or perhaps come to a few meetings, but you're not sure whether you're part of uh, this church? What about for the rest of us as we gather tonight? Is this place important to you? How important? Now, for the long time, as those who've been here uh, a lot longer than uh, the fly-by-nighters like myself, uh, are you as soul and life and all committed to this place as you once were? Has your love for this place, your passion, your commitment for this place uh, just grown over time or has the dream of this place faded? Psalm 48 says to you and to me, wherever we're at tonight, whether we're brand shiny new or whether we're uh, very much part of the furniture, it says this place is worth your soul, your life and your all. It's a song all about this city. But what's surprising is, as we look at it together is that our attention won't be on this city at all, even though it is a song about the city. It's not fixed on the city. What makes this dream so worthy, so worth your soul, your life and your all, is who is in this place. This, after all, is God's city, his church. And as we'll see, uh, he is the God who has already given his all to this place. And so tonight we hear in this psalm a whisper of that dream again, whispered to again stir our hearts to give our all for this place. And what I want us to do for a little while tonight is I want us to listen to this psalm really two times uh, under the three headings that you can see there on your sheet. And the first time we're going to listen through, we're going to listen to this song sung by God's people as they were in the past. We're going to hear the people of Jerusalem, the people of God's city, sing this song about this place Let's listen in together as they sing, starting with uh, their song about the God who is present in verses 1 to 3. They sing, Great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. It is beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. And the psalmist, uh, composing this song, looks across his city, Jerusalem, and he rejoices He is stoked by his city. He is a fan of his city. Our psalmist's a lonely planet guide, if you like, of uh, Jerusalem. He's the one entering the Jerusalem description. Here is his description, and it is overly enthusiastic. Have a look at verses 1 and 2. Jerusalem, the real Jerusalem, the historic Jerusalem, the Jerusalem you can go and visit right now, is neither lofty or great. In fact, it was a relatively small, fortified city. And uh, you didn't go up to Jerusalem. In fact, the the surrounding hills, you had to go down to Jerusalem. Everything about this description seems over the top. Is this some sort of tourist fraud? As the psalmist sort of embellished things, hoping you'll come and visit his city. It's the sort of thing I might do about my home city, Sydney. Tell you how wonderful it is, how it has absolutely everything you could possibly imagine. And then some. And then you go to the city of Sydney and you're sort of left a bit cold. Uh, it's probably not going to happen, to be honest. It is the greatest city on the face of the planet. But you might think I'm uh, overdoing it. Or I was reading uh, this week, uh, there's, a, there's a hotel in the, in the city of Leeds that has on its website uh, think, descriptions of the sort of things that you could see near their hotel. And one of them is Leeds Castle. Leeds Castle in Kent. Is this what the psalmist is doing? Is he sort of overdoing it, this lofty, beautiful city? The joy of the whole earth. 
No, for him this is accurate. In fact, if anything, he's underplaying it a little. For ultimately his praise is not about the city, it's about the God of the city. He points to this insignificant little hillock in the city of Jerusalem where the temple stood. The place where the Lord of heaven and earth chose to be his defining point to meet with his people. The psalmist is effusive in his praise because here in this city, God himself dwelt with his people. He was there. And because he was there, this city was beautiful. He made her beautiful because he is beautiful. Remember that back in Psalm 45, he is the most beautiful of all. He was there. And because he was there, this city was the joy of the whole earth. Of course it was. He was there. Even in that feeling of uh, someone that, uh, that uh, their presence is so joyful, to be around them is so joyful. It doesn't matter where you are. It's just the place you want to be. Well, that's what the psalmist is saying. All of a sudden, his city is the joy of the whole earth because God is there. The psalmist says this city is God's city where he lives with us. And because he is there, he also claims that this city is the very seat of power in all this world. You see there in verse 2, like the heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. Again, it's another audacious claim. Uh, Zaphon, uh, literally meaning north, was a a name of a a mountain uh, in Syria, a huge mountain, uh, an impressive mountain compared to what Jerusalem had to offer. Snow-capped, sort of dominated the surrounding area. In fact, it was so dominating that the surrounding peoples came to think that maybe that's where the gods live. Uh, This mountain is so impressive, that's the mountain of the gods. But our psalmist knocks that theory for six. He says, go to the top of Mount Zaphon as high as it is, and yes, you'll find snow there. And you might even find it hard to breathe, it's that high. But says the psalmist, do you want to meet God, the living God? Mount Zion is that place. Climb this mountain and you probably won't find snow, but your breath will be taken away. For he is here. Right here in this city, the great king, the Lord Almighty is here. And because he is present there in the city, not only is the city beautiful and joyful, it's safe. Verse 3, God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. The citadels of a city were the the most fortified part. If there was a last stand to be had in a city as it was defended, that's where it would happen. God is in that place. The Lord Almighty is with them. He is her defender. And he has proved himself to be. He said he would. And what they've heard, verse 8, he has shown himself to be again and again. At times of great danger, at times of conflict and fear, he has revealed himself time and time again to be her fortress. And so not only is he the God who is present, but he is the God who is deliverer. You see it there in verse 4. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw and they were astounded. That's a reference to an event that uh, we've actually seen mentioned in the last three Psalms, that that, uh, event that's uh, repeated all the way through the Old Testament a number of times, the siege of Jerusalem by the Assyrians under the mighty Sennacherib. 
He and his armies had sort of swept through the surrounding areas, taking every city, every town, every village in its wake. And they come against Jerusalem now with their great and terrifying forces. Sennacherib combines all his forces against this city, the city of God. His army raised their weapons, ready to charge, ready to take yet another city. And then they just stop, dead still, awestruck, we're told in the psalm, terrified, trembling, running all the way back to Nineveh. This unstoppable force stopped dead still. All because, we're told here, they saw. It says there they saw her as if they saw the city, but literally it says they just saw. What they saw is whose city this is. They saw who they were picking on. Just how almighty the God of this city is. Just how committed he is to his dream, his people with him. And listen how Isaiah 37 describes that moment when this huge army was stopped dead still. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter the city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, he will return. I will defend this city and save it for my sake. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were all dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, fled. I bet he did. Imagine that, this huge army in one moment, just by the word of this God, stopped still. That's what they saw. The God who defends this city is awesome. By his word, he set the whole earth on its foundations. By his word, he told the nations we saw it to... In uh, Psalm 46, he told them to be still, surrender. To ignore his word is to come against a God whose plans will not be thwarted, not even by the mighty Sennacherib. You imagine that moment as they saw uh, Sennacherib and his army hightailing it back to Nineveh? Can you imagine the celebrations that would have followed that day in Jerusalem? Verse 8 says that as we have heard, as he promised to be, as we were told... Uh, we've seen with our own eyes. We were told that the Lord was like this. We were told he was our fortress and now we've seen it. All that we were told about his promises has worked out in our presence. And what security they would have felt. What a celebration would have come. And you see the sort of celebration they had. It involves a number of things. Verse 9, firstly, as they see this army running away from them, as they see that God has defended them, they too stop still. They too are awestruck. Not just the Assyrian king. Awestruck, though, this time by the unfailing love of this God. The loyal love of their God. A love strong enough to defend them. A loyal love for people who had no reason to expect or deserve that sort of love. Unfailing love for failures. What we had heard of our God that he promised to never leave or forsake us no matter who we are. That we have seen, they said. And so as they gathered in the temple of their God, they considered this love. And the more they considered this love, uh, the more we're told, verse 10, that, that it bubbled up into praise Praise for the name of this God. Praise for the Lord Most High. 
Praise for his righteous deeds that had seen them delivered. Praise for his judgments on their enemies. I mean, that's why verse 11, we're told the villagers of Judah are rejoicing as they see this army that had destroyed their villages now hightailing it back the way they'd come. As they looked at Zion, as they looked at the city of God, untouched, praise went from Jerusalem through the villages to the very ends of the earth. This is our God, even to the end, they said. They meditated on his love, they praised his name, and they shared the story of his deliverance. What they'd heard, now they'd seen, and they were to tell it to the next generation, we're told. The psalmist calls the congregation of Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem, he says, the God who is present, who is your deliverer, who is to be praised, walk around his city. Take it all in. See his protective love, uh, his righteous judgments. Count the towers, count the ramparts that have been untouched, count the citadels that not not a stone has moved. See how he has delivered us. Take a photo of it if you have to to remember it so that you may tell of this story, so you may tell of this God to the next generation, so they may hear and trust him as well. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. But now let's see how this song is not just a song for the city of God then, but so much more for us now, for his city, the church. Now see again that this song is ultimately not in praise of Jerusalem or even the temple where God dwelt, but in praise of the Lord whose city it was. A song of praise to our God who is with us. You see, this dream goes back a lot further than uh, Jerusalem. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. His dream has always been the same. His dream has been personal fellowship with us. He will be our God. We will be his people with him. That's his dream. It remains his dream for us in a dislocated world like ours. It's the same dream whispered all the way through the scriptures. I will be with you. You will be my people. I will be your God. That's what God's about. As glorious as Jerusalem was, it was but a hint, a whisper of of the full expression of that plan. You see, while there was a moment in history, and there really was, when Jerusalem was indeed God's city, when he did live there, when you could go and meet with him right there, as the exile came and as the temple where God dwelt was destroyed, uh, even though it was later rebuilt, nothing emerged that was ever the great hope that they dreamed of. But there did come another moment, at just the right time, when God was indeed present with us, and when the promise of God with us reached its wonderful realisation. And at that moment, there wasn't just joy for Jerusalem, but all the earth, so much so that it didn't require a psalmist to sing of that moment. A choir of angels from heaven came to sing of that moment, the moment God's own son was born a man in this place. The moment the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who spoke stars and storms and cities into being, the one who holds it all together by his word, came and set up his tent amongst us in some backwater town in a stable, the very seat of power of all heaven and earth was a manger in a table, 
in a stable where the king was born. God with us, not veiled or unapproachable as he was in Jerusalem, but here in the dust and the muck of life with us. That manger, that day, that moment held a weight of glory and power and hope and love that has never been surpassed. This is how the the Narnia series describes that moment. Once in our world, there was a stable that held something in it that was bigger than the rest of the world put together. A baby born to build a city. And he would say of us, uh, you and I, he would say, you are the city of God. You are a city on a hill. This city that this psalm speaks of. And any who would come to him in repentance and faith uh, would come into the city that he was building. You see, through him, the new city is built, not just from Jerusalem, but to the very ends of the earth. Built through his once and for all death, his once and for all deliverance. A sacrifice so big, so worthy that it covers us all. You see, what was true of Zion then, as we read in this psalm, is so much more true of us, the city, the church now. Did you hear it in our other reading in Hebrews 12? One of my favourite passages in all the scripture to see how this this wonderful dream that, that was whispered all the way through the scriptures has been fulfilled in us, the church. Let me read those verses again. Hebrews 12. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, To the city of the living God, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God. To the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, you have come to Jesus. The mediator of a new covenant, you have come to the one whose blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now let me encourage you just for a moment, if you will be willing, to uh, close your eyes. I asked you a question at the start about this church, this place, and what you thought of her. Perhaps you were thinking of uh, the people around you and uh, the, the building you were in. Perhaps you were thinking perhaps of somebody here that you don't really get on with. Uh, Perhaps you were thinking about problems that you have with uh, the church and the structures of the church. Perhaps you were thinking about past days. Perhaps you were thinking, if you're a student of your home church, where you have left, where you wish you were tonight. Let me tell you where you are right now. You are with thousands upon thousands in joyful assembly. You are in the church of the firstborn, the church of the one who owns everything in heaven and earth. You are one of the names written in heaven. You have come to God through Jesus. You have come to the one whose blood sprinkled over your life speaks a better word than any else you will ever hear. A better word than a word of affirmation, a better word than the word of promotion at work, a better word than a word of a hopeful relationship, a a better word than any word you will hear, a word of forgiveness, a word of unfailing love, a word of no condemnation, no accusation, just welcome. That's where you are right now. 
We are the inhabitants of Zion. He is here with us. He is our deliverer and he is utterly committed soul, life and all to us. For this is his dream, this place. You can open your eyes if you want, if you've still got them closed. I want to encourage you tonight as we come towards a close. This church is how he is showing his wisdom to all the world. Heaven and earth. This is how God is saying, I have won. This is why this place is worth your heart, soul and all. Do you know what the news of the hour is in Sheffield tonight? Do you know where BBC should be right now if they're capturing what the big moment in Sheffield tonight is? They should be right here. This is what God is doing in the world. This is where he is with us. And so let me say, if you are brand new here, if perhaps you're a student and uh, this is your first night or, or maybe second, get involved here with God's city here. Don't shop around. You're not a tourist. You're a citizen of this city. This place is what God is doing. This place is beautiful and joyful and safe. You reckon, I reckon our problem with, uh, with uh, being the people of God, being his church, is I, I reckon uh, we believe his presence and deliverance in the past. We see it with the story of Sennacherib and what he did there and we say, wow, that's amazing. And we look forward to the day when we will be in heaven with our God in that place. But we sort of look at the, the, the sort of here and now as if it's all pretty ordinary. Our problem is we, we sort of live in these in-between times, this side of the cross, but also uh, short of the new creation. We think we live in times uh, where God and his presence and his deliverance is just, well, pretty ordinary. Sort of like waiting in the transit lounge. We're waiting for the real thing to start. We're not there yet. But did you hear Hebrews 12? It didn't say you will come to that place. You have come. You've arrived in the city. You have come to Jesus. So let me encourage you to savour the beauty and the joy of this place. I heard a comment a couple of weeks back about being here together on a Sunday and someone said it's, a, it's like a little taste of heaven. And it sounds like something is a bit over the top. You want to calm the person down. Well, no, no, no this, isn't, this isn't like that. Well, that's exactly what it is. This is a taste of where we will be forever. And not just when we gather on a Sundays. It's not just that when we're like this, we are the church. We are that place. Every moment of this gathering in Christ lived in our world is extraordinary. When we gather on a Sunday, yes, but when we're let loose as the church in the world, savour the beauty and the joy of this place, but also rest in the safety of it. He dwells here. If we continue to be built on him, built on his son, nothing can touch us. Hear this of your church. Hear this quote by the preacher Alexander McLaren. If it had been possible to destroy the church of the living God, it had been gone long ago. Its own weakness and sin, the ever new corruptions of its belief and pairing of its creed, the imperfections of its life and the worldliness of its heart, the abounding evils that lie around and the actual hostility of many would have smitten it to the dust long since. But it lives. It has lived in spite of all of this and therefore it shall live. God will establish it forever. 
I can't tell you what an encouragement that quote is for me at the moment. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. Hold on to that. And like the Jerusalem of old, all of this should again give way to praise. This is to be a place of celebration, as Jerusalem was the day Sennacherib was defeated. But how much more has he delivered us? From slaves to sin to forgiven children, from separation to fellowship with our God, from death to life forever. That's our victory. The city is built on that. This is to be a place of joy. And so like Jerusalem did on that day, we are to meditate on his unfailing love. C.S. Lewis once wrote, there is a kind of happiness and wonder that makes a person serious. That's what God's love should do for us. Every time we hear the news of his unfailing love, every time we hear the news of his deliverance on the cross, it should stop us still and serious as we think deeply on it. Our wholehearted church is one that never tires of hearing of his love, who every time the gospel of the cross of Christ is spoken falls silent before it, wanting to hear more. It's why if you are new here, you can be sure of this. This is a church where you will keep hearing the very same thing, the unfailing love of Jesus. And we're unapologetic about that. It says here next to me, there's a little, a little plaque that says, Sir, we would see Jesus. That's what we're about. Meditating on him and his unfailing love on the cross. It's why we're forever in the word of God as we have been tonight and as we are right now. For it is the word about his son, the word about his love. It's where we meet him face to face. As we listen to that word, as it speaks of his unfailing love to us, our faith in that love grows. We grow more convinced of it, more sure of him, more willing to live wholeheartedly for him. And as we meditate on that love, it should lead us to, as Jerusalem did that day, praise the name of our God. That's what people should sense in this place an overwhelming joy and praise in our God. People should be unable to be in our midst on a Sunday without a sense of just how awesome we think our God is. Do you know what you're doing when you sing? Our praise is not just uh, singing words about our God. Our praise is a, a declaration to this whole world that Jesus is Lord. When we sing the Lord Almighty reigns as we have tonight, we're not simply singing words. We're saying whatever it may seem, whatever it may look like, this territory belongs to Christ. And by our singing, we are reclaiming it. Our praise of our unfailingly loving God in song and word and in all of life is meant to resound around the walls of this place and our small groups and our homes and our workplaces around our nation and even to the ends of the earth such that the news of this great king, that story does spread down the generations and to the ends of the earth. There was a dream. God's people in his place with their God, their king. A king of loyal love and righteous deeds and judgments. What a dream. If left to us, it would have faded like all dreams and promises in this world, but not so our God, not so his dream. 
As we close, uh, let me show you where the dream is heading. You know it well, but perhaps you have forgotten how good it's going to be. The future of this place that you are already a part of tonight. Here it is, Revelation 21. This is what you're in on. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne of God saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That's what drives us on as a church, as his city. As we gather like this in our confidence that this God will build that place. A place marked by his presence and deliverance and love. That's why we are free to hold nothing back here in this place. There was a dream once of a city, God's people with him. It will survive the winter. It will last forever. Let's pray. Father, help us uh, when we get to a place where this is no more than a club for us. Uh, Help us when we get to the place when our belonging here is casual and distant. Help us when we get to the place when we are disenchanted or disenfranchised or just plain forget that you are here in our midst. Help us to delight in you, the God who is with us, the God who has delivered us and the God who is worthy of all the praise we can muster. So, Father, fill us with knowledge of who you are, that we would indeed meditate on your love, that we would praise you, and that we would, the story of your love and your deliverance would go from this place to the very ends of the earth. We pray this for your glory's sake. Amen.